I'm Alan Thorpe. And I'm David Rogers, and together we host The WeatherPod. In each episode, we invite a leading expert to help investigate how public, private and academic sectors can work together to produce weather information of value to business and society. Timely, accurate and focused weather information and related services have enormous value across all areas of human activity. It can increase the efficiency and profitability of business, help save lives and improve safety on land, at sea and in the air, and predict the spread of life-threatening diseases. Now, as climate change increases the frequency and impact of extreme weather events, weather information is crucial to build social and economic resilience. Hello, I'm David Rogers. In two episodes of The Weather Pod, we're focusing on public weather services. In today's episode, our guest is Halle Kutvel. Halle has had a long career in meteorology, appointed as one of the first female director generals of a national meteorological service in 1984, and later moving to the World Meteorological Organization, where she led its public weather services program. Looking back, it's hard to imagine that there was no focus on public weather services, but as we will discover, it took many years to develop. I started by asking Halle a very basic question. What are public weather services? Public weather services are, in fact, the end product of the work of uh, a national meteorological and or hydrological um, service in a country. And the work that goes into producing a one-minute forecast that people see on television or listen to in radio, on radio, it's uh, very complex, uh, involves a set of complex um, activities and uh, production in the background, or what we call the back office, in fact, of a med service. This uh, involves um, numerical weather prediction models, computers, a massive amount of observations taken on surface from, uh, from space, from air, all of the results of uh, this work ends up in producing a forecast or a warning which then needs to be sent out for people to see or to listen and to, uh, based on what they have received, to be able to take some actions to protect their own safety and uh, the safety and, uh, uh, of, of their property, etc. And public weather services is uh, the, if you like, the window between the back office or the back production part uh, and what people see comes out from the result of the work of a, a meteorological service. And um, public weather services are, in fact, uh, the solid foundation of um, working with disaster management and helping to um, for helping the public and the users and the recipients uh, to make sound decisions. Um, why do we need to have a day-to-day -day forecast when for a lot of people maybe it's not very important if a temperature is one degree higher or lower than it was the day before? But the reason for the one of the importance of public weather services is that by doing this every day, first of all, the public, the people, know where the information comes from. They develop a relationship of trust with the sources of information, and they know how to get it. And therefore, when the time comes that there is a severe weather or there is some dangerous uh, 
phenomena is happening that will produce a um, dangerous outcome or impact, then people actually know where to get that information from. And by now, they uh, have developed some kind of a relationship with uh, a forecaster who appears on television every day, or even if they, it is, uh, they receive it nowadays more through their mobile phones or um, through uh, any other means. But they, have, they know where to go to get that information. And this is one of the very important aspects and reasons for why having uh, public weather services. And in fact, there are two objectives of uh, this program when it was first established. One is to make sure that the best possible set of comprehensive information is provided to the public and to all the user sectors by a national meteorological service. And second is that um, public understand what this information is and how to use it and how to take action on it. So it's got two aspects. Yeah, so this, this is actually a um, kind of a way of distinguishing between a weather forecast and the service of public weather services. Yeah? So that yes. in, yeah, so. Because a weather forecast is a product and a product needs to have some value added to it to turn it into a service. And that is how to communicate it. Communication becomes a very important part of public weather services. And we distinguish between communication and dissemination. Dissemination is you have a written forecast or a warning and you just put it on a, in the old days on a fax machine or uh, turn it into a message and it goes out. Communicating it is where you have got someone, a human being, who actually passes that information on in a way that to help people to understand the message if it is uh, if they if it is an urgent message and they have to take immediate action that really should be communicated by a human being so and, yeah, yeah so just listening to you um, describe this you clearly for many weather services around the world particularly perhaps in the developing countries and, and least developed countries in particular I mean, they have very few people. They focused on the science. They focused on providing a weather forecast. And this step, this, what it seems like, the way you say it, it's not a huge step, but it is really an enormous step from going from the, the sort of technical weather information to actually turning that into something that people are able to understand and, and respond to and use effectively, take action. That's absolutely true. And, you know, this is the um, reason behind... Um, why this program was set up in the first place. And the, the program evolved in 1980s. Public Weather Services program came about. Um, so we're from, talking about WMO uh, setting this up is a WMO, program. Yes, yeah, okay, exactly. Yeah. How it actually was born. Um, and uh, meteorological services, they have always uh, provided information for aviation and marine. And in fact, the origin of uh, MET services in many countries was to provide um, forecasts for shipping, for marine uh, purposes. Then came along aviation. And of course, one of the other um, services that requires very closely linked to weather is agriculture. And these um, services developed and went far ahead. Um, however, it seemed that nobody was thinking about how to provide similar services to the public at large. They were forgotten. That was a sector that it was not taken very seriously. 
And um, in, in kind of late, early, late 1980s, and in fact in one of the WMO Congresses in 1987, the 10th Congress was the beginning of discussion that there was a need to also provide, to put some focus on providing services for the public, the way that people could understand uh, what the forecast is and what to do with it, etc. And these uh, discussions continued also at that time um, it was the beginning of um, discussions about the role of um, government services in producing weather. Budgets were getting tighter and the public role was uh, getting more and more under scrutiny. It was becoming important to show some return on investments that governments were making in the meteorological services and one of them, of course, aviation was always there, shipping was always there, but not everybody in the world was using aviation services. Everybody in the world day to day depended on weather, how to um, regulate their activities, how to plan their activities, etc. So this was one of the reasons, but also it was very interesting because until then, um, this public uh, providing information to the public was seen as um, the domain, if you like, of um, a national uh, organization, a national authority. And the fact that for the first time this came into an international UN body, how to structure this better in a way that people around the world um, were uh, if you like doing it in the same way, they had some guidance, they had some principles, um, and everybody was becoming more and more, if you like, on the same page in providing the services. This is a very important distinction between public weather services and aeronautical services that were regulated very uh, strictly through UN and through um, International Civil Aviation Organization and WMO, etc. And then gradually, these um, discussions within the WMO membership, which are the governments that are members of WMO, grew until in 1991, the WMO Congress, the 11th Congress, approved that a program should be established in WMO under the banner of public weather services. Uh, still took another year or two before it finally got totally approved by the WMO Executive Council and it was finally uh, set up in WMO in 1994 as the newest program of WMO and it was part of, in fact, the World Weather Watch program of WMO which was its, uh, the backbone of WMO is the observations, the data processing and the forecasting and um, telecommunication part. So what so, were the first impacts? I mean, once the program was set up, what did it do? Um, it took a while, in fact, for uh, people to become aware of this, but very quickly it seemed it gathered momentum. And it, it took only another year before in the next Executive Council of WMO, there was a lot of encouraging and support given to this program from all the members of WMO. And I must say that um, when I started this program in WMO under the um, late Secretary General Professor Obasi, there was no resources allocated to this program. And it started, in fact, its work through the 
support of the membership through the volunteers who uh, they provided of their own expertise and we very quickly put together groups that started to support this program. We expanded the activities to all the WMO regional associations and since it was um, part of um, a very uh, fundamental commission, technical commission of WMO called the Basic Service, uh, Basic uh, um, Systems Commission of WMO, it uh, kind of started having a um, high profile, if you like. And during the same time, in the 90s, uh, it was the International Decade for Disaster Reduction, or IDNDR. And it became quickly very obvious that there needed to be a very strong collaboration between Public Water Service Program and IDNDR. And we, we in fact, were working very closely with them in the United Nations, because IDNDR was under the UN proper, with the United Nations to um, bring the attention to the fact that uh, you need good weather information, you need good warnings, you need how to communicate and how to disseminate that information to people for disaster risk reduction. And another very important issue was of course the role of media. Um, we always have had national and local media that uh, um, take care of probably um, broadcasting their national forecasts. However, this was now becoming the era of international broadcasters. We had BBC, we had CNN particularly, these were the two. And at that time, of course, before the uh, mobile telephones came into being and all that, people depended on these sources to get their weather broadcasts and uh, forecasts from. So we started immediately to work very closely with these international broadcasters because um, the countries were um, saying that at times uh, what the broadcasters are broadcasting is rather different from what the national country, the national uh, authorities are producing. And we were asked to look into this and in fact approach the international broadcasters and ask them first of all to um, start to recognize all the work of the WMO membership in the, as part of the World Weather Watch that goes into collecting the observations and the processing and all that so that the product comes to these broadcasters and then they can turn it into a forecast. And secondly, that they should pay attention, especially during times of severe weather, pay attention to what the national authorities are issuing as their forecasts and broadcasts. So, so in a way this is a, a, it's a good example of early days of uh, kind of public-private engagement given that many of the broadcasters are actually private sector, they're not all public uh, broadcasting institutions. In fact right? that is absolutely true and when I remember the very first time I went and started talking to CNN they were um, they were in fact very welcoming. They said obviously the role as an international broadcaster was to make sure that good information was relayed to people and particularly, as I said, during times of severe weather that they could take action to protect their lives and livelihoods and therefore they were very um, welcoming and they were very happy to work with us as part of the UN uh, organization. Yes. You're listening to WeatherPod with Alan Thorpe and David Rogers. So, well, I mean, 
we're still talking about really the early days. So what were the what were the first benefits that you, I mean, you tangible benefits that that happened? I mean, did did we see some significant uh, positive impact of of these this directed program uh, within within countries? Well, um, I think so because one of the first things that we did was to. Uh, well, it was not that first, but um, probably after three or four years that uh, public weather services got established and got going, we conducted a global survey and um, to all the WMO membership and asked them what is, what do they feel is the impact of this program on how they are uh, in fact running their own forecast programs and their own um, what was now becoming named public weather services because before that it was just forecasting it was not public weather services and we got very um, positive and quite impressive feedback that um, the uh, national med services were reporting that because of this program and because the countries could see that there was a focus now on um, importance of serving the public at large, they were getting more attention from their own countries, from their own governments. And some of the, sometimes, um, this is something I think among um, a lot of public weather service practitioners uh, and broadcasters is known that um, some ministers or high other government bodies would ask, uh, if we get our weather from CNN or from BBC, why do we need a med service? And by having a focus on this program and explaining, in fact, not only public weather services, but what is behind that in every country, what, what uh, is there to produce this end of, um, basically end of the line product, countries and governments began to realize and value their own national med services. And that is, I think, this program had a long way to um, go to, in fact, um, increase the credibility, if you like, uh, of their own med services in, the, in their countries and make the governments aware what is going on and how they get the forecast. It doesn't come from CNN or from BBC. Their own med services are the ones who contribute so much so that CNN and BBC can produce a global broadcast. So it's, I mean, it's, um, it's interesting because, I mean, in my own discussions with um, countries like colleagues in India, um, this connection, as you mentioned, between the disaster management and the, the meteorological service is really important. And, and the, you know, the advocacy then for the, the services is really in the hands of those who are the users of the information. So often the public directly doesn't have a, a direct voice uh, in, in determining budgets, but the institutions that the meteorological service supports do. So disaster management clearly has a, a seat at the table in, in centrally in many governments, and meteorology often doesn't. So it is this, this relationship that you've created between the two is, is fundamental to really the survival of the meteorological services. Yes, I think so. And as I said, because, I mean, the foundation of, uh, um, in addition to the day-to-day -day weather, the day-to-day -day weather, good uh, public weather service is a foundation for disaster risk reduction because it does bring together the two sides to work together. And uh, one of the things that we did in early days running a lot of training activities, a lot of training workshops in countries or in uh, different uh, 
uh, international centers was to insist that we need to bring together disaster management as well as the med service practitioners to seat them together and sometimes it was the first time they had ever met or they had ever known of each other's existence. Why, uh, where uh, the disaster manager, where do they get the information from? As I said, it always came from the end of a fax machine or uh, as an SMS or something without knowing who, without putting a face to the producers of this information and where does it come from? And by the end of those workshops or training programs, they would go away as uh, close colleagues, sometimes as friends, if you could, uh, hopefully, in some cases, and basically they agreed that they needed to work together very closely. But disaster management was not the only sector, I would say. We um, started to bring into focus, as well as the public, because of course public weather service is the name of the program, but making awareness uh, or, or creating awareness of the other uh, socio-economic benefits that public weather services can bring to other sectors of society. We um, know that a lot of, for example, uh, farmers, they get their, and small-scale small, small scale farmers, they get their information directly as part of the public weather services. These are not the very big agribusinesses or companies that have got their own probably weather service on board, but those users who just need the day-to-day -day weather or severe weather information uh, to be able to plan their work and also their day-to-day -day operations. So uh, public weather services go a long way, not only for the public, but for farmers, for people, for fishermen, for example, who fish in the coastal waters. They are not, uh, again, having access to any particular um, company or private sector or can't afford it to be able to get their information from the, the, those sources. So their source of information is public weather service. You're listening to WeatherPod with Alan Thorpe and David Rogers. So how do you, you see the, um, the, the whole area of public weather services evolving today? Well, we are going beyond just giving information to people about weather and about hazards. Now, the last few years, we have been focusing on what is the impact of the weather. And um, this idea of impact-based forecasting and risk-based warning is gaining uh, ground and traction very rapidly because um, ev everybody agrees that it is, we don't need just to know um, what the weather is doing out there uh, and how the weather is behaving. We want to know what is the impact on me, uh, on my home, on my belongings, on, on my farm, on my animals, on my, um, you know, depend on whatever business, businesses people are in. So I see the evolution of public weather services and the awareness that it brought to the importance of forecasts and um, good communication of that forecast and vital information, again being the foundation of the impact-based forecasting. That is to turning the role, if you like, of forecasters, which is being done in some countries at the moment, from just pure forecasters to become a link 
between the science and technology and um, the real work of numerical weather prediction and forecasting, machine forecasting into uh, taking this information and advising the people on how to um, make use of this information for and pay attention to what is the day-to-day -day and hour-to-hour impact of this weather on their life and livelihood. Uh, Alan and I on the weather pod are often we talk very often about the value chain and we you know, from observations to models and analytics to forecasts onto tailored services and to integrated services and we have a particular interest in you know what integrated services a lot of people don't really understand what we mean but it, it seems that what you're saying about the evolution of public weather services is moving from the kind of tailored services of of yesterday to a much more integrated weather f uh, weather service built into the tool bases or whatever the decision support systems of, of uh, users is, is, is that how it's evolving? I think that is absolutely true I must say that we are not going to in fact if you want to look at the value chain public weather services probably occupy two links they will still be tailored services for a lot of people it, they will still exist. You can't really take it out of that domain. However, it is the evolution into the integrated services and that is working again even close, more closely with the disaster management not to uh, basically make a forecast and pass it to the disaster management and discuss with them how they should use it but to develop that product at the end of the day, that product together. That, uh, um, and, and move from an early warning service to a multi-hazard, if you like, early warning service and even further to a multi-hazard impact-based early warning service that is taking all the developments into from a forecast to an impact-based forecast and from an early warning service for a particular hazard to a whole range of hazards and therefore development of multi-hazard impact-based forecast as part of the occupies a very important place in the integrated services link of the whole value chain, I think, and that will be that is the future of uh, how we are going with delivering multi-hazard early warning services to people that is in, based on the impact of those hazards. Do, do you think this sort of fundamentally changes the way um, weather services are organised? I mean, I, I mean, it seems that if you are going to really take that what seems like a large step to have an integrated service you're really building it with other institutions you're building it with disaster management you're building it with many other sectors so that um, how does how do you see the in a way the future of a national meteorological service well I, I will just stay with meteorological services as at least for a majority, a great majority of them, to always be somehow part of the government. I mean, we are not really talking about private services or they, they, will, they might have different business models and they start having a little bit of activities in the commercial area and all that. But uh, if you look at them always as belonging to the whole government structure in one form or another, um, the emphasis is on working together with your 
the stakeholders in society, with everybody who needs better information, work together to develop the services together. One of the other example would, of course, would be in the energy sector. As we are moving towards a renewable energy, we know that weather information is becoming more and more important and its integration into the activities and operation of the energy sector and how they produce their, uh, their products for, um, uh, for people, for um, selling to uh, society. They need that weather information now ever more than ever before, more than the traditional energy producers. And that is another area where um, basically public weather service product providers, if you like, they are going to have a role and they need to be careful not to lose the opportunities to get into this integrated service production with many other stakeholders. Disaster management is, is one. Aviation has always been there and that is, but even that aviation is probably uh, also evolving from a tailored service into a more integrated service. Shipping services are changing from being marine services, pure marine services in the form of tailored services into integrated service. So every aspect of society you can look at, um, the med services need to develop this kind of relationship with them, build a service together, build a product together and get out of that um, linear way of passing information to somebody else for decision making. This is how it was when we started in the 90s, early 90s, or even early 2000s, it was like that. But we see now that this evolution is happening and it is actually um, gaining ground quite rapidly. Would, would you also um, say that sort of the whole business of weather and climate has also changed in the sense that we talk a lot about climate services, but when I listen to what you're saying, climate services and weather services are basically the same thing. Um, do you do you see a distinction or really they're just merged into meteorological services? I mean, since weather and climate are meteorology. Well, in, in uh, the meteorological language, we call meteorology being weather and climate, of course, as you're saying quite uh, correctly. But we really need to see this. The, the, there should not be a seam between these two. This is a seamless transition between weather and climate. And you can't have climate services without having weather services because, after all, climate is built on records, past records, and the longer the records are, the better, of course, to be able to um, use the past weather and to be able to look into future and provide future predictions uh, for climate and for shorter term uh, climate uh, forecasts and outlooks. These all, of course, depend on the weather. And this seamless transition between weather and climate is another very important aspect of the work of meteorological services. And the fact that we call public weather service, of course, we are concerned with the day-to-day -day, uh, evolution of the weather. I myself look tomorrow to see what is happening to, tomorrow to be able to better plan my day tomorrow. But I also want to see uh, what is uh, probably the outlook for the next month. And particularly if I am a farmer, I want to know what is the outlook for the next three months. I want to see my seasonal and sub-seasonal outlook as well. And I don't really see that there is such a distinction between these anymore. And we need to learn to look at the scale of moving from 
very, very short range hours to weeks, days, weeks, months, and up to years, and then future, of course, decades and beyond. Halle, I'd just like to thank you very much for providing such an uh, interesting insight into public weather services, how they started, how they've evolved, and, and where, you know, where they're going today. Thanks very much for joining us on the WeatherPod. Thank you for having me on the WeatherPod. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Well, that concludes this episode of the WeatherPod. We hope you've enjoyed it. Alan and I will be back next month. And in the meantime, please give us your feedback via email to support at gweforum.org. Thank you.